Hi, I'm James Van Ostel, and this is a special episode of Carcon Carne in that it's a replay of a live panel that happened on stage as part of the very first Chicago Podcast Day. We did it at 2112, which is a creative industries incubator. And the whole idea of Chicago Podcast Day was to bring the Chicago podcast community together to learn together, to share stories, to network, and all improve what we do as creators. So there were people who were very experienced in the crowd and people who were podcast curious. And I think everyone walked away with some helpful information, ideas, thoughts. And my goal in sharing back a few of these panels is to further inspire you. I, I said it before, it's a cliche. I hate the cliche, but it's accurate. A rising tide lifts all boats. The more people who are productive, successful, creative in podcasting, the better we all become. And I, I still believe we are not quite at the tipping point of podcasting. People would have you believe that podcasting is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Everyone's talking about podcasting. I don't think that's true yet. I think we're close. I think we're getting there. And I think the more people who have podcasting demystified, the better we'll all be. So this very first episode I'm bringing to you from Chicago Podcast Day, it's a great one. It is a wonderful panel. And I leaned on something familiar when I built out this panel, traditional media. Specifically, what can digital audio, what can podcasters learn from traditional media? And for this panel, I brought in some true professionals, people whom I admire and think the world of, Amy Guth, Jill Hopkins, Todd Gans. I'll give more formal introductions as I set up the panel. And that's about to start. I should mention, this isn't the full panel. It's darn close. But what I didn't include in this episode is the Q&A. Not because there weren't great questions. There were. It's just that the people who asked the questions from the crowd weren't on microphone. So it sounds kind of crappy to put on a podcast episode. So no disrespect to them and the thoughtful questions we got. It just didn't work for a podcast. So here we go. What can digital audio learn from traditional media? It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. Jill Hopkins is the new media and civic events producer for the Metro family of venues, where she hosts and produces the Have You Met podcast. She's previously hosted and produced the Opus for the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy Recording, and hosted the Making Beyonce podcast for WBEZ. She's a veteran broadcaster, having helmed shows on Chicago's Vocalo and Chirp radio stations. She's one of the hosts for, of, of live events for NPR's The Moth and a club DJ. Jill Hopkins right there. Amy Guth, her last name rhymes with truth. She's a journalist and a broadcaster on WGN Radio. She hosts Crane Chicago's business podcast, Crane Chicago business podcast, Crane's Daily Gist. She's also a voiceover artist, a producer, an award-winning screenwriter, and an author. Oh, my God, Amy Guth. Todd Gans, at the age of 18, he went on a tour of 100.3 WPNT at the time. He talked himself into an internship and turned that into a 24-year career. He's worked as a producer, 
on Air Talent, production director at 100.3 and 101.9. After radio, he co-created and co-wrote "If the Walls Could Talk," a true crime, po- true <laughs> easy for me to say, a true crime podcast about Chicago's Edgewater Hospital, where I was born. Uh, launched independently in 2021, the podcast has over 80,000 downloads, more than half of which came from Chicago and the Burbs. He's the senior producer of the podcast division of Glass Entertainment Group, Todd Gans. So the reason why I have you together, the reason why I wanted to do this panel, and I think you'll agree, podcasting has become the domain of amateurs. Amateurs have become really successful on this platform while traditional media people have been scrambling to figure out what the fuck they did wrong and how come they have to catch up now. I do think even though amateurs have been successful at it, they can learn a lot from people like you. Uh, Things like finding their voice and understanding how to create a show. Let's start with what what traditional media does right. Jill Hopkins, what does traditional media do right? I think uh, traditional media, at least in in my experience, uh, does right by having their listeners' best interests at heart. Uh, the, the outlets which I've gotten to work in was really good at putting egos on the back burner and really making the experience worthwhile for the listener as opposed to, you know, just kind of the passion project that a lot of us do for, for podcasting. Amy, what does it do right? Um, In addition to what Jill said, I totally agree with that. I think also traditional media does a very good job of uh, systematizing and professionalizing an ethics code and and a sense of here here is the line of ethics, here is how you can trust the content and here's our line of vetting and here's how you know and how you can trust this is accurate accurate information or that the guests we're choosing don't have like a financial interest or if, if they do it's disclosed that this is a branded segment or something like that. Todd. Traditional media to me is like the big brother. It's what mm-hmm. everyone looks up to, everyone wants to be and we're all kind of living in the shadow and trying to emulate that. Like for my job now, we don't take on podcasts at work unless we see that it could also be turned into a TV series or some sort of a movie or streaming deal. So we're still holding on to traditional media because they, we all still want to be them. Let's talk about voice. How do you or how does someone in this room find their voice? How do they find their authentic self as a podcast host? Jill? Well, when we all figure it out, I'd love to know. <laughs> but I, I think, kind of counter to what I said about what traditional media gets right, it's, I think it's just talking about something that you're not only knowledgeable about, but that you feel very strongly about. And that authenticity will just kind of, it'll just come. If you're talking about something that you would talk to somebody at a party with, or somebody that you met in an airport with, for fun and for free, I think your authenticity will show itself in that. Maybe? I think authenticity, but, but also um, 
you know, there, there's I kind of have two parts to this answer, right? I think uh, there's like the, if you think about like an old school traditional broadcaster, it's someone who really sounds like this, right? <laughs> and then you have like your morning zoo kind of zany crazy voice, right? I hear a lot of podcasters kind of trying to emulate that and this, this cadence that happens in the literal voice of podcasts where they're like, and we'll be right back after this thing. That, bah, 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 bah. And it's like, oh, do it, are, are they trying to sound like the broadcaster guy coming up next? Like, it feels hard to listen to because it feels so chopped up, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's like in the literal voice sense. But, but the other piece of that is confidence. There's, you know, podcast episode number one is not going to be the same as podcast episode number 100. And, and part of that is just getting your sea legs, right? The first time I was on the radio, I almost threw up on the commercial break. I was shitting myself. I was kind of thrown into this mess. But then, you know, then I got to a point where, hey, this person, you know, got a flat tire and can't come in and you live close. Can you just come in? I don't have any guests. Okay. <laughs> Fine, and I figured it out, right? And it and it was less of a panic thing because at that point I had confidence. And I think that's another part of it is like getting your sea legs by getting getting all the crap out of your system and like getting those bad habits out. It's funny. I, you can't find episode one of my podcast. I've erased it from the internet <laughs> for that exact reason. Todd, I think everything they've said. Um, we the podcast I did, we were just narrators. And it was funny that showed up in reviews. People were like, these people sound like robots. And I remember how offended I was. And I'm like, you know what? That's kind of what we were supposed to be. So I guess that's a compliment, even though it's a three-star review. But we <laughs> use Patreon um, to kind of be, to break that wall. We were just kind of telling this story. It was a true crime story. Didn't want our opinion in it but use Patreon to kind of just talk about everything that happened in each episode. And we use that as a financial stream to support the podcast. So it, everything they said, and, and then a ton of practice, because like anybody in radio, you never want to listen to your first tape. No. Ever. No. Well, let's talk a little bit about listening to yourselves. In radio, especially in music radio stations, there's such a thing as an air check meeting. And what this is is, an air talent is invited into the program director's office and you listen to break by break what you said and did on the air. It's the most cringy thing in the world to do, to listen to yourself, A, B, in front of the person who signs your paycheck. That said, there's value in it. I don't know that podcasters listen to themselves. What's the value of air checking and do you air check yourselves as, you, as you're in the digital space? Oh, I 100% listen back to every episode of anything I've ever, like the day it's released. I'm not going to advertise something that I don't believe in. So if I, you know, if I, even if I have no notes from an editor or anything like that, I'm still ears on just to make sure that, because I edit my own stuff too. I, I want to see that I've done a good job in every aspect. And I want to make sure it's, it's fun to listen to. And I will make my husband listen to it <laughs> next to me while we cook dinner. And he's my husband because he tells me when things don't go quite well. Um, and then I just, you know, I take that and apply what I've learned, I guess, to the, to the next episode and make sure I don't make those mistakes again. But also... When I do something well, I like to pat myself on the back and remind myself that this is a job that I'm good at and I should probably keep doing. 
Amy, how about, do you listen to yourself? Do you listen to the Crane's Daily Gist? I do. Well, I, I also love to edit. I love editing. So um, I'm listening as I'm editing, and then I listen back to the whole thing since I kind of do it in pieces and then assemble. Um, so I think it's very valuable to air check for a couple of reasons. There's technical stuff. You're like, wow, my levels really suck there. I should make sure I'm staying the same distance from the microphone, or I should run and you know master that a little bit better. Um, but also, if you're listening to it, you know what's coming up. But nonetheless, if you're like, I'm so bored of this part right now, your listeners might be too. And that's maybe a cue to like, if I'm bored and I was very engaged in that conversation with that person that I found fascinating and put on this podcast, maybe people are not going to connect with it as well either. So definitely, I think air checks are valuable. They're terrible to do with a program director. <laughs> They're terrible. And some program directors are fucking mean, right? <laughs> they will tell you terrible things, but that also builds your confidence, right? Because a program director can tell you something terrible and you could be like, that's totally not true. Or I think that's an awesome thing about me, not a terrible thing, right? It helps you kind of understand how to be discerning about your own voice. And, but also listen to others. I met a podcaster not long ago who was like, I don't listen to any podcast but my own. Oh okay, my how's that going for you? <laughs> you like, we, there's no real original thought. There's always like, oh, what a cool format on this. That would be cool if I borrowed an element of this. There's inspiration out there, I think, from air checking yourself, but also by consuming the, the product of, you know, in the sea you are in. It's a great point, listening to other people. Also, the one thing you said that sticks with me, if you're bored, the audience is bored. Yeah. Like, you know when you've hit that point of diminishing returns and it's time to just say goodnight, everybody. Yeah, for sure. Todd? I try to listen where I think listeners are, so I don't want to just listen back where I recorded it. I want to put it in earbuds, because I realize my headphones, everything sounds amazing. And <laughs> then you put on AirPods and you're like, Jesus Christ, yeah. like every S, it's like going right through my ears <laughs> and popping peas and things like that. So I try to also then think like, can I pay attention while driving in the car? Is this too, is this too much? You know, do I need to break it down? And also like we, I, I found this thing where you could kind of do promo swaps with other um, podcasts. And I thought there should be something where you can just say to some random podcast, you listen to mine, I'll listen to yours, we'll call each other's baby ugly and learn. And maybe there is a, a thing out there for that, I don't know, I haven't found it, but I think it's a good thing to ask a stranger. Did we just invent a thing? I think we did. It's like the DIY program director. That's right. With a, it's like the, the peer-reviewed program director. Oh my god. But no meanness. In Hopefully. traditional media, you have the freedom of spreading out interesting stuff over the course of a one hour, two hour, three hour show. Podcasting's different. In podcasting, there's attrition after the first 10 or 15 minutes of listening as a rule. How do you as traditional media people who maybe would wait 40 minutes to get into something, how do you approach a format that kind of demands you put it all up front? Hmm. I don't know, maybe, I, maybe to think of the interview as a radio segment uh, where you have to program music in between things, segments of, of conversation, and then wrap back around to get to a point that you had alluded to before. So if you think about, you know, an hour clock on the radio, you need time for your breaks, you need time for music, you need time for your promos, 
and just kind of imaginarily put that into, say, an interview or a podcast, just to keep the, you know, the 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 bridges down, and not lose your way, mm-hmm. which I may have in this paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say appointment setting and getting out of the way of throat clearing language are the two biggies there. And by that, I mean throat clearing language is stuff when we don't, we're like, I'm going to ease into this big question. I'm going to like circle around the body like a vulture and then ask my big question, like get there, get there. But also a you can't necessarily like start your interview with like, so tell me how you murdered your husband. You got to like <laughs> warm up to that kind of shit, right? So I think appointment setting does a lot for you in that regard. So that could make, that could be a lot of different things. That could be pulling a really juicy quote out of the back or later in your podcast and right up front, like, let me tell you how I murdered my husband. That was Jane Smith talking about how she murdered her husband today on the podcast. Then people are like, whoa, she did what? Right? And they're in. But I think you can do that throughout. Like if you take breaks, if it's not just one long thing, you can kind of do that. We're going to take a break in here from a sponsor. When we come back, da 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 is happening. And the people are like, oh, word, that's a thing that's happening. So you can kind of keep people going and let them know there's real juicy stuff if they stay with you. And Todd, you do that with if the walls could talk. I mean, yeah, I mean, the true crime, I mean, it's kind of like the old newspaper adage, like if it bleeds, it leads. And you start with the crime. And I learned that um, after the fact, because we originally looked at that project as a history. So we were going to tell a story from beginning to end. And then as we got deeper into it, I'm like, this is like bananas. We got to put that up top. And I think, too, the power of editing. like. Your interview may not have gone this direction, but to take that stuff that is the meat and move it up top, that's, that's the beauty of what we're doing. Interviews. We've talked throughout the day about best approach. Do you go solo? Do you have a co-host? A lot of people will start a podcast solo and find very quickly it's hard to run a podcast as a monologue outlet. So a lot of people turn to interviews. Some do it in their cars. People do interview shows. Some people. <laughs> Some people. <laughs> it's a trend. What advice, assuming that people in the room will conduct interviews at some point during their podcast journey, what advice do you give for conducting a successful interview? Because we've all heard great examples, and we've heard some less great examples of how to do interviews. You know, I like to do a lot of research about the person that I'm interviewing. I like to have a few questions, but... You know, when I first started in radio, I had all my questions ready because I was so nervous of not having the next question. And what I later realized, and Rick Kogan gave me this advice. That guy, man, he's a legend. So he gave me this advice. He was like, why do you have all those damn questions written? I was like, so I know what to ask people on the air and I don't fuck it up, Rick. And he was like, when the hell do you listen then? And that was a really valuable moment to me because I realized I was so busy asking all my damn questions, I was possibly letting some really good questions run away by not listening. I was so like, okay, next I'm gonna ask about this thing. Instead, you know, people would throw out a little, wait, say more about that. So I think that's part of the thing that comes with confidence of knowing, hey, I got this, I know how to have a conversation with people, because that's all it is, it's just a conversation. On that note, if someone is coming onto my show or podcast and they want a copy of the questions in advance, 
I absolutely tell them no. Here is why. I say, I have booked you because I want to hear from you about the things that you know. If I give you these questions, if I give you all the questions, you're going to come in rehearsed and what we do is gonna sound performative and everybody's gonna know it's bullshit. I'm going to ask you about your book, your film, your whatever. I'm gonna ask you about that and a little bit of how you got into that field or whatever. You know, I'll tell them, I'll, I'll ask a little bit about this, but I'm not gonna give them the questions. Only one person has said, okay, well, I'm not gonna do this, then I really want the questions. That person I heard on a later, later podcast somewhere else, and they were a basket case, right? They were very nervous. So it was, it's about nerve soothing for them, but I think it makes for like performative stuff that just sounds like reading a script. So I prepare questions, but I also listen. And, and if you're curious about it, your listeners probably are too, right? If somebody throws out a thing, you're like, whoa, wait, you were on a shrimp boat for a year? Hey, wait, stop, say more about that. That's interesting, and that's like okay to derail and, and to jump on that. I like to have fun in my interviews, and I've been on the other side of that microphone and just learned that it's more fun to have a conversation with somebody than it is to just be asked questions. Yeah. So. I look at all of my interviews as, today I'm speaking to the most inter interesting person that I've ever met in my life. And I've been lucky enough that 80% of the time that's been true. Um, most people, if they're worth inter interviewing in the first place, are fascinating in at least the thing that you're talking to them about. I love to find out what else they're fascinating about that has led them to the thing that we are, are talking about today. Um, I will name drop Carlos Santana every time I can because that was one of the... That was the, a smooth move. Thank you. Oh! Because <laughs> that was one of the singular most interesting conversations I've ever had in my life. He is exactly what you think he is. But we were talking about a very particular time in his life. Next thing I know, I'm talking about mysticism and uh, Italian beef sandwiches with Mr. Carlos Santana, and it never would have occurred to me at the start of that conversation that that's where it would end, but if you keep yourself flexible and you don't limit yourself to the predetermined questions, you can find out you know, that Carlos Santana's wife rides a bike 30 miles a day, and that's why she looks so good. I mean, I didn't ask that, it just came up naturally. And it's, it's, it's giving yourself that freedom that I, gives your guests that freedom. I think that's so important, that flexibility, not locking yourself into a rigid idea of this is the way this has to flow. This, is, this has to happen at this time, this question needs to happen there. I think that's how you get to mysticism and beef sandwiches. I have a very similar thing that happened. I was talking to author Scott Turow, about like plugging his book and is Harrison Ford gonna be in this one and da 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 da. Like it was, he was on this press tour and I, I was like, what, what does no one ever ask you about on these press tours? He goes, no one ever asked me about my band, man. And I was like, tell me about your band. <laughs> the guy's in a band with Stephen King and Amy Tan. And I was like, wow. hold up, man. So we are, by the time it's over, he and I are singing Runaway by Del Shannon because that's his favorite thing to sing. Where's our lawyer guy? Like, I probably messed up by singing that on the air. But nonetheless, like that was a totally different interview than like, tell me about how the law firm thing happened with this story. And just because he kind of, like, w wanted to go there. Yeah. Now, Todd, the way you approach interviews is for an entirely different purpose. Completely different. Because you're using them to build a narrative. <laughs> yes. 
I, we had to give, everybody wanted an outline of our questions. It was, we dealt with a lot of lawyers and they wanted to make sure they had their answers. So I wouldn't obviously give every answer or every question, I'd put an outline together and say these were the topics we're going to cover. And that helped. Um, most people who even said no, we're not gonna participate in your podcast. We then said, how about if we give parameters? Like, we'll only talk about this stuff, maybe. And we kept, it, it was like every no was a maybe in my mind, so we eventually got them. These are the only questions we're gonna ask you. And then they were in. And to your point, I remember doing a, a cattle call in radio, and that was when you had like 10 minutes with a celebrity, and they went on to the next station. And Christina Applegate was so bored and checked out <laughs> by the time we got to her. We asked whatever question, and this was her first answer. Yep. <laughs> and I thought, oh shit! Like we gotta, we gotta find. Like let's go to the bottom. Like I had all these questions written out, and we ended up talking about. There was someone who was new to Chicago, and she said, when I first got to Chicago, I saw this fountain. I said, there's Married with Children Fountain, and Christina Applegate had never heard that Buckingham Fountain was called, nor had I, that it was called Married with Children Fountain. And then the interview went less, yep. And she was back in and engaged. So it was all about research. Finding that story or that tidbit or something about these people that they haven't been asked, because that will unlock them. Yeah. One thing traditional broadcasters, I think, are really good at is teasing content. I mean, there are reasons why they're, they've had to be good at it, but they're good at promoting what's coming, holding people's interest, getting them to listen to the next show or 20 minutes later in the podcast. Can any of the three of you provide good advice on how to be effective at teasing content within a show or across episodes? I mean, you don't want to lean too heavily on the phrase like, but that's something we'll talk about later. Okay. <laughs> because uh, A, no one's promised tomorrow, and B, it's, uh, you know, it, it feels like a cop-out in the middle of a, of a narrative or a conversation. But you know, that last little bit of your podcast is a really good, you know, 90 seconds to build anticipation, uh, use some really creative language to not spoil anything, uh, but also take the advice, I guess, from 80s primetime dramas and just build as much of a cliffhanger as you think the subject matter deserves. Now let's talk about cliffhangers, Todd. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, it, for us, a lot of our teases at the end were for Patreon stuff. There was so much we could not fit into our story, and that also came up in reviews, too. Someone said, we're only getting half the story. And I'm like, for the love of God, lady, stop. <laughs> you know. But it, it became like, we could tell you and stop this whole thing and tell you about how we found the villain in this story at a grocery store in Munster, Indiana, buying evaporated milk. It's going to detract from the that story. Right, there's a good tease. I mean, <laughs> what was he making? Exactly. The whole time I'm following through the store thinking, oh my God, this guy buying evaporated milk. You know, he was in prison. What's he doing? So that, that story, and I should also say, we recorded everything when we were in the research portion of our podcast. If we were trying to come up with a name, I would just hit record because a year later we listened back and laughed our asses off at how many names we were in love with 
that we were like, wow, we were like either really drunk or something. But that became content that we also put on, on Patreon. We're in a commercial break. If you don't have a sponsor and you want to play us saying, you know what I think is a great name for the podcast, Critical Care. And we're like, yeah, sold, done. And it's terrible. But you're like, want to hear us come up with some bad ideas? It's on Patreon. You know, 10 bucks a month, go. <laughs> Amy, how do you hold people or get them to keep listening? I mean, I think a little of that is that appointment setting stuff I was talking about earlier. But I think then it also echoes out to how you use social media. If you're at the last part of your podcast is... Thanks for listening. Next week, I'm going to be talking to da 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 da. Then make that part of your audiogram that you share out, and then and you share the episode, and then you sh- later share your little audiogram piece of just saying, "Hey, next week on the podcast, this is coming up," and they're like, "Oh, word, that's a thing, right?" Or in your shares, or when you uh, when you if you do a blog post or a Facebook post or something or LinkedIn, at the bottom of that, you can say, "On next week's episode, talking to this person." What's the best piece of advice you were given as a broadcaster host? in your radio time that you still kind of hold close in the present day? These are three people who are very used to measuring their, their words before they speak into microphones. Uh, I think um, Steve Edwards was a, just a, a font of knowledge while he was at WBEZ and his advice was, you know, it, it it's cliche or whatever, but people can tell when you aren't being yourself. So why spend time cultivating a personality that isn't yours? It doesn't help anything. It sounds exhausting. And yeah, folks will tell. It'll come across. Your interview subjects will know. Your listeners will know. There's no, there's no worth in pretending to be a personality that you're not. That's awesome. Amy? Um, I think the best, of, in, in addition to the Kogan advice to just like shut your mouth and listen when people are talking in an interview, um, also, you're not talking to all of you. We're, you're talking to one person. And so, I, you know, I think, I, I know I made that mistake early on, like, hey, everybody, Mm-mm. it's you. I'm just talking to you because I'm in your ears. And the quicker you can get from, get away from thinking about this in a traditional broadcast model where, where we're like handing down audio from the mountain to the people listening to just, I'm just going to your ears. I'm just going to your ears. I think it changes the whole tone of the conversation so very, very much. I think the best advice I ever had, it was an improv class. And um, they said like, when you start a scene, let's say you're walking up to somebody at, at, at work and they're filling up their water bottle and you notice they're pregnant, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, when are you due, right? What's the second thing? Boy or girl. What's the third thing? Do you know who the father is? All of a sudden, you've started a scene. Like, you've skipped past the first two, and that was just an example, by the way. I'm not saying to do that, but you've skipped (laughs) past these two. First thing that come to mind, it's been done, it's been talked about. So if you're writing something out and you're like, man, I really, like your your first draft is going to be thrown away. Your second one, better. The third one is where it's at. So you just keep throwing those ideas out till you get to something that's different. And 
in my mind, that's, you could apply that to so many things from the interview. Like, what is the first question you're gonna ask somebody? Throw that out. What's the second one? Go to the third. Chances are they haven't been asked it. I think that kind of speaks to that throat clearing language. So many podcasts open with, hey, thanks for being on the show. What's up? <laughs> Don't care. Nobody cares what's up with that person today. They're here to talk about, like, why is this an interesting person? Yeah, totally. Throw away those first two questions. Say those before the mics are on and yeah. then, then get into the, the real stuff. And that's when we went to Q&A, which, again, was great. Just audio-wise, I couldn't include it here. Chicago Podcast Day, it was kind of like a beta. It was kind of an experiment to see if there was an appetite for this sort of programming, this sort of content. I think there was. After the day ended, the question I got most was, so when are you going to do it again? And that's something that I'm talking about. I'd love to do this twice annually and potentially this coming November. Obviously, once things solidify, if they solidify, and I think they will, I'll talk all about it here. So this was the first panel I've been able to share on Carcon Carne. There are more in subsequent episodes that I hope you'll have a chance to listen to and share with friends, family, colleagues, whomever may be interested in the business, the art, the practice of podcasting. Carcon Carne is available everywhere. Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, carconcarne.com, also on video, except for these episodes on YouTube and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it.